0: Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Firm. This is Monday Morning Coffee with Alex Gore. I am here with David Lewis Bradley and For him, having experienced the challenges of running his own design firm, um, David Bradley, the Architects Coach, founded Blueprint for Living Coaching in 2014 with a mission to inspire architects and design professionals around the world to create lives well-lived from intention and purpose. His blueprint covers starting your own firm, achieving professional recognition, creating powerful career transitions, exploring their creative self-expression, and grow their leadership and recapture a work-life balance that brings joy and celebration back into everything that we do. David, welcome inside the firm. I am glad to have you.
1: Thank you so much, Alex. I'm really happy to be here. So
0: let's go back. Let's rewind the clock. Before starting this in 2014, what what were your steps before that that's relevant to your, what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, I I, I had kind of a circuitous path to get where I am right now. Uh, I got, I went to, did my graduate studies in architecture at the University of Illinois in Chicago and graduated, interned, took my exams, got licensed in 1998 in Illinois. And um, shortly after getting licensed, I kind of, hit a wall with the place where I was working and I was pretty miserable. And I decided I can do this better than the Yahoos I'm working for. And I just kind of went out on my own. Uh, spur well, why off,
0: why yeah. were you miserable?
1: Oh my gosh. You know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't care for the work. I wasn't really jazzed by the clients we were working for the, just everything about the firm, you know, I, Individually, I liked my my colleagues, but I just didn't see a path forward. Uh, it just, it wasn't feeding my soul. And I was kind of clocking in the time. And then at the end of the day, walking out and just feeling like I had just wasted 10 hours of my life. Yep. So I was just, I was just not, I knew, I knew there was something more. And to be honest, it was my mom who said one day, she said, I'm tired of listening to you complain, do something. And so I went in the next day and I gave my notice. And she said, That really wasn't what I was going to suggest to you, but okay. Um, yep. I had been moonlighting. So I, I started my own practice out of my living room. Um, and over the course of 10 years, I grew it into a six person firm. We did projects all over Chicagoland. And it was going great until the recession hit in 2008. Dun, dun, and- dun. I got to tell you, I took a look at what I was have to do to survive and I was just burned out. I just didn't have it in me. And I said, you know, I'm I'm going to close my doors. Um, it was really painful. It was horribly hard to do. Uh, I had to let go staff. I was just bleeding, hemorrhaging cash. And I kind of licked my wounds. I got a job actually, I may be one of the only people who got a job through monster.com at the time. I threw my resume (laughs) onto the internet. And I was picked up by a a German company based out of Stuttgart, Germany, uh, to run their North American portfolio in the United States to open a a branch office for them. They moved me to Germany. Uh, I lived there for nine months studying with them and and, uh, they did tensile structures. It was nothing I had ever done before. But I loved the work. It was really fun. I traveled all over the U.S. working on different projects, the most notable of which was the suicide prevention barrier for the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, If you know those mesh nets that have been hung off the side of the bridge, that was my firm that designed them. And uh, I got to be there for some of the construction and design process. So long story short, loved this company, but the work was very feast or famine. And I went to them and said, look, you're going to go bankrupt if you keep me on salary. So let's just go on a contract basis. I'll work for you when the work is there and I'll fill in the gaps. I didn't know how I would fill in the gaps. I didn't really have a desire to go to a traditional architecture firm at that time. And a friend said, you should try coaching. He was going through this coaching program with accomplishment coaching out of San Diego with their Chicago cohort. And I kept saying, dude, I'm an architect. I don't, I'm not a coach, but he kept poking. And finally I said, okay, fine. I'll go to one of your, you know, presentations. And it clicked. I actually found it super interesting. And within a weekend I thought, you know what? I want a coach of my own uh, to help me figure out how to get unstuck from where I am. And for a little bit more investment, I can actually see how everything works behind the scenes and get trained as a coach. I don't want to be a coach. I just kind of want to know how it all works. Sure. Um, it was an intensive year long training program with a full weekend every month covering different topics. Um, by month three, I actually got hired and I got to coach somebody and the light bulb went off. I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. I really enjoy this. It uses a different part of my brain than architecture. Yeah, I'm good at it. And I could actually make a living doing this. Uh, It Took a while, I graduated. I got certified with the ICF, the International Coach Federation, which is now the International Coaching Federation uh, as a professional certified coach. And over time, I decided that I was going to meld my architecture background with the coaching because in my heart of hearts, I'm still an architect and I love the industry and I love the people. But I also see that there's this tremendous need for what coaching can provide. And so that was the start of Blueprint for Living. Um, I've been doing it ever since. I absolutely love what I do. It gets me out of bed every day. I'm, I love my clients and their wins become my wins. And it's just super rewarding. Yeah. So that's the nutshell. <laughs>
0: That's a good nutshell. That's a really good nutshell. So what's the difference between like facilitative coaching or ontological coaching and yeah. what are those two? Yeah. Define them.
1: Yeah. I had kind of sent you that as, as something that would be really great to discuss. The, there are two different coaching is really fascinating because it's kind of between it lives between therapy and consulting, right? I'm not a therapist and I don't really function as a consultant either Therapy kind of looks back to the past to help you become healthy, happy, and whole in the present. It's a past-based conversation. Consulting, as is implied, is somebody comes in and provides you with a solution to a perceived problem. Coaching lives in this middle zone where we touch on the past insofar as it can actually help us figure out what's going on. And we'll bring in consultants to support you as needed, but it's a forward-based conversation. Where are you now? And where do you wanna get to? What's in the way? And how do we best move that out of the way so you can move forward with power and velocity? That said, with coaching, there are two different branches. One is facilitative coaching. It's closest to consulting. And every single coach worth his or her salt is going to be trained well as a facilitative coach. Um, Ontology is the study of being. And so the training that I did was ontologically based coaching, where we're actually taking a look at who you're being about what you're doing, if that makes sense. The best way I can describe it, and I tell this to my clients, imagine if you came to me and you said, David, I am bankrupt, and I want to retire in 10 years. Okay. First comment is, okay, we got some work to do. right? So from the facilitative side, we're going to take a look at your income and expenses and your ledger, your checkbook, your savings, your investments. We're going to get you hooked up with a um, professional advisor, with a financial advisor, an accountant, a bookkeeper. That's the consulting side. We're going to put you on Quicken or QuickBooks or some kind of financial management software, create a budget, and then create a plan to get you from bankrupt to retirement in 10 years, and then coach you along that plan with milestones and accountability and all of that. That's facilitative coaching. And there's a ton of value in that. Ontologically trained coaches can do all of that, but then also start to ask really, really foundational questions. So what is your relationship to money? Hmm. What does money represent to you? Well, let's get to the thoughts, beliefs, and patterns that exist in the background that are running the show and they're having things go the way they've gone. I can tell you if we don't have that conversation and shift that, there's a really good chance that either you won't get where you wanna go or it's gonna take a lot longer. Um, Think again in another example. Uh, We all know people who've gone on diets and they do these diets but they don't actually address their relationship to food. The relationship to food is the ontological conversation. The diet is the facilitative side. So in my training, I'm constantly poking at my clients from an ontological standpoint. And my job, 99% of my job is to create, uh, to help people create choice. So most of us walk around with stories going on in the back of our, you know, it's behind our heads. We don't even see it. We've got contexts about contexts are just filters with how we see the world, right? If you put on a pair of red glasses, you're going to see a red world. If you take those off and put on green glasses, everything's going to be green. Context is the same thing. Contexts are just the stories that we've learned that we've taken on and that we use to filter information. Well, context, you're never going to get rid of context. We all walk around with hundreds of them operating at any one time but most of them operate in the background. They're in subconscious, we're not aware of them. My job is to take that thing that's in the background behind somebody and pull it out and place it in front of them and say, hey, let's take a look at this thing. Let's really take a look at this thing. What's the impact of looking at the world this way? Can I I pause you
0: right there? Because I want you to keep ranting. Um, (laughs) so, So please remember your train of thought and where you were going. Sure, but sure. Uh, my my wife will want to watch what I call trash shows, which are reality shows. Let's just call them reality shows. Sure,
1: sure. Yeah.
0: And and we'll hang out and, and I'll get into some of them. And it's actually very rare. So, like, I don't mind, you know, like once a year we'll watch whatever. And some um, they're dating shows. Right. And yeah. what I've noticed in dating and growing up through life and and the general epiphany that I feel like has a vein in what you're talking about is. People think, you know, you went through high school, you have friends, you have family, you have relationships. They think they know what it's what it means to be a good friend. Mm-hmm. They think they know what it's like to be a good partner. They think they know what it's like to be a good family member. They think they know what it's like to communicate. They Absolutely. think that they know how to think.
1: <laughs> and but... you only know what you know. What? And you only know what you know. Yeah, Because you're running on,
0: yes, and you're running on these background layers like, oh, no, I know how to communicate and I know how to think. But is that the correct way? Is that the optimal way? Is that the best way? It's just what you've been doing.
1: Well, and this is where choice comes in, because my job is simply to pull the thing out that's been in the background that nobody's paying attention to and look at it and evaluate it and Put the client at choice. Okay, let's take a look at the impact of this way you have been being about work, about your spouse, about your career, right?
0: Do you have any examples and you can generalize them?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, It happens most frequently. The the easiest ones are communications. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Architects are just some of the most brilliant people I've met when it comes to design, but when it comes to leadership and communication um we usually fall pretty short and it's oftentimes because we have stories about how people are like there's there we've got ingrained ideas about what's happening and we filter different events through our own experiences rather than putting ourselves over on the other side of the conversation and actually putting ourselves in the other person's shoes to, to try to understand what's going on with them so I've often had clients come they'll show up we call I call it pants on fire you know we want to talk about their business but they just had an interaction with their boss and they're completely worked up about it and we let I let them blow off steam about it but then we stop and we start actually taking a look at so what are the dynamics that are happening here Um, What's the relationship that you have with this person? What's going on over there with that person that's having it go the way it does? And how do you show up in those conversations? Most of us have extremely practiced ways of showing up when we're confronted, when we're upset, when we're angry, when we're sad, when we're disappointed or frustrated. It's just a survival mechanism. There are ways that we've learned at a very, very early age about how to show up to protect ourselves, right. And they become very knee jerk. And so the minute somebody comes at us, the survival mechanism way of being shows up. And the worst part of that is survival mechanism begets survival mechanism. So if mm-hmm. somebody comes at you with theirs and you meet it with yours, it's going to become this, it's going to become a fist fistfight. I've often found that's usually what the problem is, is we come at things from our automatic rather than stopping and choosing a different way of being with people. I'm kind of talking with a lot of jargon, so I apologize about that. No, that's I think fine. About, I'm thinking about clients of mine who the reason the the conflict with the boss got out of control is because the boss came at them, they showed up in a particular way with all their defenses bristled and it just escalated. And the problem is when that happens, nobody's listening to anybody else. So it just turns into this death spiral of miscommunication, misunderstanding. And then you have to go figure out how to go clean it up. So with my clients, we take a look at identifying, well, what's that thing? How? what is it that has you show up that way when you're in situations like that let's really poke at it and see what's going on with you um and then look at how could it have gone differently what tools do you have that you could bring to the table that would have it not go that automatic way um so it's And it's sometimes it's painful because people realize they're like, oh my God. And that's, this is actually the fun part for me. It's painful for my clients. But when, when you see the light bulb go off, those light bulb moments for me are exactly why I do this because I'll, I'll point to something and the person will sit there for one second and you see the light bulb go off and they're like, oh man, I do that all the time with everybody. Yep. And here's the fun thing. If you distinguish it in one part of your life, I guarantee you yeah. it's showing up everywhere else because we aren't silos. Yeah. If you if you respond to your boss in a certain way, I'm willing to bet you that your relationship with your spouse is pretty similar, or with your kids, or with your friends, right? Yeah. So it's one of the things that I, th- I I enjoy the most when I'm working with groups in, in group dynamics. I've I've worked with a lot of studios and larger groups doing group coaching. And uh, it's fascinating because I walk in the room and immediately can read all the agendas that are going on and all of the politics and the, the power dynamics and everything else. And it's massively challenging, but I love it, to manage the room so that everybody feels heard, so that everybody feels seen, and so that they're actually listening to each other and hearing what's being said. Um, I gave a group recently, this is kind of funny, a group I was working with, there were about uh, 20 people in the room, and we were talking about giving and accepting feedback and also listening with purpose and intention. And I said, one of the, uh, I want you all to practice asking, checking in when you share, it's called um, intentional sharing, when you share something with a person, Check in with them to see that what you shared was clear and that your intention came through and that they understand, right? So it's it's really powerful because it actually helps you understand what your communication style is and whether you might think you're being super clear. It's kind of like the game of telephone, right? Where you say mm-hmm. something to someone and it gets translated. It's the same thing communicating one-on-one. So I told him, I said, I'd love to have you practice just saying, um what how did how did I put it it was uh how did uh how did what do you what did you hear right yep. in what I just shared it's a great tool to get feedback on your speaking and to make sure that your intention got through so one of the guys in the group he got really excited and he goes he goes I think this is a great idea everybody and uh, he said, "I'm going to start practicing this. I'm going to come up, and when I say something, I'm going to turn to you and say, tell me what I just said.'" <laughs> and the whole room, I, I my my heart, I almost bust out laughing because you could hear it, right? Yeah. And and I said, "Okay, I I, I really appreciate your enthusiasm in, yep. in taking this on, and I really want you to practice not saying it that way, yeah. right?" And I said, "Can you hear it? It's like you just sounded like everybody's mom, right? Yeah. You tell me that's what." That's a good, I said yeah, that's a good opposed, way to say it. As opposed to what did I just say? What What did you get from what I just shared, right? Yeah, that's bringing somebody into partnership, yeah, rather than establishing this. I told you something; you better have listened. You know, it's subtle stuff like that that we're not taught. That's not always intuitive. And that we have to learn. And so, that, with my clients, you know, I'm working on intentional speaking, powerful questioning, asking things that are actually going to make a difference, and uh, listening actively. And they're, they're, they take a lot of practice. They um, do. I still practice it.
0: Well, it, I mean, it relates to architecture, but it relates to, like you said, every relational conversation that you have. And one is where you did touch upon the listening. And a, and a phrase that I like is listening with positive intent, meaning yeah. trying to, seeking to understand first, that's another core principle, seeking to understand then to be understood, right? Seven habits of highly effective people.
1: Right, exactly.
0: So I guess that's even more uh, encapsulating than just listening with positive intent. But I, I think that that helps. The only thing that I'd caution people on is two is, if you only listen with positive intent, you might just become a yes person. So you get to the meaning, oh, I get where they're going. Yes, let's do that, let's do that. But there's also unintended consequences. And that's why you're having a discussion is to to, to ferret those out as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and it happens not only, this is the interesting thing is it happens not only with other people, it happens internally. The conversations that we have with ourselves, the way we speak to ourselves, the way we think about what's possible and what we can do. So a uh, small example, I, I always with my clients, I work, we work on multiple projects. Usually people approach me about a career project, but I invite them to create projects in other areas of their lives because we're holistic people and uh-huh. Uh, I worked with an architect in Spokane and he was deciding whether or not to even stay in the profession. It was a big conversation, but we created a side project. I said, what would you do if you were following your heart and you really like a passion project? He said, I've always wanted to be a pilot, private pilot. And I've never, the guy was like 36, 38. And he said, "I've, I've never been able to find the time or the money to do it. And I said, got it. And this was around I think it was around June of that year. And I said, so would you like to make a project around it? He said, yeah, well, let's, sure. I don't know how I'll do it, but he said, great. By when will you be a pilot? Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> there was this hesitation. He goes, well, if I really work hard and put in all the hours and figure out how to pay for it and do it, he says, it's a lot of time and study. And uh, I I don't know. It, end of October and I said okay so October 31st you'll be a pilot and he goes well yeah but that's a lot of work and time he says let's let's say by the end of the year and I said okay so by December 31st you'll be a pilot yeah but you know the weather's really bad and you see you can see where this yeah. is he said spring then it was like oh let's make it a year from now and I said look I'm I don't care, I don't have a dog in this race at all, yeah. but I'm gonna hold you to this. I want you to make a declaration about by when you're gonna do this, and we're gonna hold you to your declaration. And you can see why you have not become a pilot to this date, just in this conversation. it just yeah. always something that keeps pushing it out. So he, he laughed, he's like, yeah, I can. okay, I got it. And he took a deep breath, he said, by October thirty first, I'll let's let's do it. And he said, "But I have no re- I have no idea how." I said, "Great. So now let's start with backcasting. And you may not know the term where you start with the envisioned goal in mind, and work backwards. So from the goal, what happened? To, what had to happen just prior to that goal, and then the step just prior to that, and then the step, and you work your way back to where you are now." The reason I use backcasting is because if we plan goals from where we are, we're constrained by what we know. And so he was trying to become a pilot where what was in his head was, I don't have money. I don't have time. I don't have the resources. And if you start from those presuppositions, you're not going to get where you want to go. Yeah, But if you start from the goal in the future and work your way back, you've just leapfrogged over all of your existing circumstances, and you work your way back, and then all you have to do is flip the timeline and just step-by-step step work your way through. But it's, it's a brilliant way of kind of short-circuiting the I can't that most it, of us hit.
0: Yeah, and if anyone has a personal goal that they're trying to hit that takes study, time, all that other stuff... And if any architect says they don't have time, I'm assuming, let's just assume they're in their thirties just for this scenario. Sure. I would ask them, well, or paint the picture of, remember when you were starting out after college, you had an internship and it's like drinking from a fire hose because you have to learn all this stuff and it's very difficult, right? So, yeah. And you're trying to in- impress your boss. So you're, you're working hard, you're trying to do good work and all that. And then around that time too, you also have to study for your AREs. And you have yeah. to get your license, and that takes a whole bunch of time, and it's a if pressure you have cooker. A light
1: in the middle of all of that, too, right?
0: Yep. And sometimes you have babies in in between that as well, right? So why can't
1: you study for your aviation test, or you know whatever the goal is, like, right? Yeah. Well, and the funny thing about time, we all have the same number of hours in the day. I mean, you, me, the president, Oprah Winfrey. Michael Jordan, like everybody, we all have the same 24 hours. Time can't be managed. I hate to break it to everybody. It can't be managed. What you can manage is your focus and your energy.
0: So I the question I was going to ask is, how do you think about time management? What is your advice for it? In the subtext of, I think time management is a placeholder holder for productivity and efficiency. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what what is your normal uh, guck you're trying to work through to get toward from time management to productivity and efficiency?
1: Well, I mean, there are definitely tools that can be used to help with the focus and the energy part of it. So, for example, um, I use Pomodoro. If you know the Pomodoro mm-hmm. technique, um, I highly recommend that the eisenhower quadrant with the principles of what's priority and what's urgent and um but some of it is got to get the the ontological conversation going Uh back that is what's your relationship to time and how is that impacting the way that you run your day and they're pretty deep conversations i mean they can get really when you start looking at it's like oh i actually some people they operate as if they've got all the time in the world. And other people, time is their relationship to time is money, or time is scarce, or time gets wasted, right? And you start taking a look at those contexts and figure out, so how is that impacting you personally in your daily life? Like, Where can we shift that so that you have a different experience of time and you have different tools that you can pull together to maximize it if that makes sense
0: yep that does make sense
1: real quick that pilot um he didn't know how to afford it he didn't have the time to do it and i said just we put together this project and i said let's just follow the steps we're going to follow the steps and you got to trust me and one of the steps was to find a flight school and so he went around and interviewed and he found one and he came to my next call, our next call, and he was just like ready right, almost to explode. And he says, you're never gonna believe what happened. I went and I found the school I wanted to go to. And I interviewed them and I was really excited and they told me how much it would cost. Yeah. And he said, and I just got deflated. I told him, I said, I, I can't afford that. I don't have that kind of money. And as I turned to walk away, the owner of the flight school said, wait a second, you said you're an architect. My wife and I are looking to build a second home out here. Maybe we could work something out.
0: Now you're talking.
1: October thirtieth, he called me from the cockpit of his plane.
0: Yep, his
1: first solo flight.
0: That is awesome.
1: And he said, "I didn't think it was possible." Thank you so much. Yeah. And now, now he flies around the Pacific Northwest and. And he stayed in the profession. Yes. You know, this is the power of coaching. If you can get out of your own way. Um, I helped one of my clients to get his fellowship with the AIA. He wanted to be an FAIA. That was like a huge goal of his. And he had kept putting it off and putting it off. And we started in August. And by the end of October, he had submitted all his paperwork and he got accepted. Um. So
0: how many people are coming to you about burnout and how many, like this is such a huge topic that I don't know how far we're going to get into it, sure. but there seems to be buckets that it could go into. There there can be strategies and techniques. There can be perspective changing and, and, and changing how you approach things and there can be just cut and run.
1: Yeah. <laughs> burnout is huge. Um, my experience is for most people, it's not that they don't want to be an architect, but they've lost their connection to what they're doing it for. And just by virtue of decisions that just get made on a daily basis that lead you down a path and you lose sight of the big picture. And all of a sudden you find yourself in this rut where you're not creating the work that you had dreamed of creating, or you're not having the impact that you had always hoped you would have, or you don't have the work-life balance that you wanted and you find yourself just overwhelmed and working insane hours and you've got no life. I had a, I gave a presentation for AIA Minnesota at a conference. It was a two-hour workshop. And at the end of it, this woman came up to me and she said, I need a coach. You're the guy. How do we start? And I said, well, I appreciate that. Let's sit down and talk about what you want to, what you want to coaching for. And we sat down and she said, I have a well-paying job that is secure and stable. I have a partner. I have two kids. And every day that I go to work, I feel like I'm losing a little bit of my soul. Mm. And she burst into tears. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, we're going to work together. Let's do this. And it took time to get her connected just through the by virtue of she took opportunities that had showed up and they led her down a certain path that wasn't aligned with who she is and what her vision was. It took a year. She refused a promotion at that same office. A month later, she called me. She said, I just turned down a promotion. And I thought, oh, God, I hope I, you know, I hope I <laughs> open her okay. And she said, no, I realized it would have been more of the same.
0: And I can't do more of the same.
1: So we're going to keep going. She created her own business. And a year later, she's she called me. She's like, my life has totally changed. She actually works within architecture, connecting architect entrepreneurs who are inventing ideas for climate change with angel investors okay and she's like flying to the moon with it it's it's absolutely amazing burnout it's just we we lose sight in the day-to-day of everything as to who we want to be in the world and burnout happens when what we're up to isn't aligned with that vision and that understanding of who we are and so a lot of the conversations I end up having with people is sitting down and saying, hey, let's kind of check in. Like, where do you want to be in 10 years? And it's amazing how many people haven't thought about it, have trouble thinking about it. They have trouble actually envisioning where they want to be in 10 years. And that's a big part of what we end up doing is creating these goals and objectives that make their heart sing, yep. that actually make them that... that have them get up. This same woman, she called me one day out of the blue. She's like, I'm walking through the woods here in the afternoon, and I thought about you, and I wanted to just call you and tell you my life is amazing. And I was like, that's why I do this, because yeah. it pains me that such brilliant, amazing people such as architects who have such an incredible vision um, feel squashed or stuck or not uh, fulfilled and for years I was trying to figure out <laughs> when I got my coaching certification I struggled with am I an architect or am I a coach and I had this story that I had to work through of well if I become a coach then I'm not really an architect anymore and nobody's going to trust me and I'm just blah 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 this is all the noise and I finally realized that there's a nexus between the two that's actually a really great place to play. Architects, more than any other profession I know, are uniquely trained and skilled to create possibility where none exists. Coaches are uniquely trained and skilled to create possibility where none exists. And so you bring those two together and you actually have people creating possibility and being empowered by it, being connected to it, and going out into the world and having a huge impact.
0: That's awesome. If people are intrigued by this, want to know more, want to join a group, uh, I think you have something called a a Studio 3D. Can you talk about what that is?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and then, so talk about what that is, how to reach out and contact you, and any other thought that that you maybe want to put out there that we might have missed.
1: Absolutely. Um, No, thanks. I do a lot of different types of coaching. So I do one-on-one executive coaching with people. I work with studios and firms doing leadership developments and workshops, seminars, all of that stuff. One of the things that I'm really excited about that I started this last year is, um, uh, um, sorry, I just blanked, my mastermind. Uh, yep. it's, a, it's called a studio, a studio 3D mastermind. And the mastermind... It's a mix of coaching and mastermind. They're two different modalities, but the mastermind is actually bringing together in each cohort, six individuals, uh, architects, to leverage the, the skills and talents and resources of each other. I manage the group and provide coaching along the way. So it's uh, basically, when I'm running right now, it's mostly for solopreneurs, sole proprietors, and small firm owners. I find that's usually the best combination to have in these groups. So the next one starts October 5th. Uh, There is six slots and runs for six months. We meet twice twice a month for 90 minutes each time. And each time, three of the six show up and they're in the hot seat. They get to bring an issue or a topic that they're working with in their business. And they get feedback and ideas from everybody in the group the next time we meet, the next three are in the hot seat. Super fun. Um, I ran it last year. We had uh, we had so much fun and some really great results. One of the guys opened a branch office. Another woman managed to get uh, uh, grants and funding for moving her office. We had somebody else who was writing a book uh, as sort of an ancillary thing to what she does. So if anybody's interested, you can check out my website. It's uh, blueprintforliving.com coach not dot com blueprint for living coach or you can reach out to me i'm on linkedin Uh, it's david lewis bradley l-e-w-i-s and um you can find me on social media but i'm definitely operating on linkedin a lot so uh and the website has all sorts of information and if you're curious the last thing is uh if you're curious and you want to see what coaching is about and whether it's the right thing for you I also run an ArcUp strategy session. It's a two-hour coaching call between you and me, one-on-one, and we coach for about 90 minutes. Uh, You get to see what coaching is about, and we work on what your goals are and strategize some structures, take a look at whether coaching might be a good fit for you. Uh, It's an awesome way to kind of dip your toe in. It's super affordable. It's really high value, and everybody... I've worked with has said yeah this was really a great even mm-hmm. if you don't hire me as a coach you're gonna get something out of it for sure um, so it's a lot of fun i guess the last thing i would say is uh do you need a coach no nobody needs a coach you can do you can keep doing what you're doing as you're doing it and you have to be coachable i can't coach somebody who doesn't want to be coached but Consider that uh, having someone who is working with you in partnership and having these foundational conversations and pointing to the things that nobody else will point to is super valuable. My job, I I had a mentor who told me once I should go into every coaching call expecting to be fired because my job is to point to the thing that nobody else in your life is going to point to. Your spouse, your friends, your family, your colleagues. My job is to pull the thing out and poke at it, even if it's not really that fun. But the value of self-development and self-reflection and having somebody there to support you with some heart and compassion and having the background, I know what you're going through. I ran my own firm. I understand it. Boy, do I understand that. Um, I think it's super valuable. Awesome. Welcome any conversation.
0: Well, it was great talk to you. Thanks for all the Mm -hmm. insight. And hopefully we can do this again
1: sometime. I'd love it. Thanks so much, Alex.